You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List Online, and my name is Andrew Mackay-Smith. Welcome to the show. The interview subject lined up for you is Mark Jansen from Epica. Omega is the name of Epica's new album. It is due for release late February 2021. Of course, we cover that, as I did with the band's other vocalist, Simone Simons. That is a conversation that actually made blabbermouth, so check that out if you haven't already. In this episode here, I cover a heap of topics, not just the album. Here he is, Mark Jensen. Mark Jansen, I should say, from Epica. I had a chat to Simone about a week ago, or thereabouts. And ah, cool. The majority of the conversation was taken up uh, regarding COVID. I know a lot of the issues <laughs> there that you guys have faced in terms of getting the album made. Yes. And also just bonding and being able to travel and meet each other. And I understand that she had to record it far away from the rest of you. So how did you find it? Yeah, I also had to record far away from the, the, the rest of the guys because I live even further away than, than she does. Uh, I live in the south of Italy, in Sicily. Yes. And uh, I was a complete lockdown at a certain point. I was not even to, to leave my, my garden. And uh, the only way for me to record was uh, in my home studio. And luckily, fortunately, I had just uh, everything set up because I'm living now in a, in a new, I, I moved like about a year ago to, the, to my new house and I just had everything set up. So oh. it couldn't have happened at a better time than if it has to happen than, than now, because I could record like this. Uh, I just didn't have a vocal booth yet. So I recorded in my walk-in closet. <laughs> but uh, well. But actually, yeah. the, 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 the sound there is very, very dry, and it, it, it worked exactly the same as a, as a vocal booth. So uh, mm. I could record perfectly there. And uh, like this, uh, I could even pick my own times of recording. So I uh, usually did like every day one song uh, at the end of the day, around 10 o'clock in the evening, when my mm. voice is always best. So that's also why I always said when we do a, a show, a live show, always in the evening, my voice is always best. So I also kept it like this with, with the album recordings. So mm-hmm. all in all, I, I, it was a pity that I couldn't travel to the studio uh, to, to record there. But uh, anyway, I, I had a good time, even though I was all alone by myself recording my stuff. <laughs> How did you then write the material? Did that happen before COVID? Yeah, all the all the, the stuff was written already before COVID happened, uh, and also a lot of stuff was already recorded in the studio before the, the pandemic hit. So uh, it was just the the end part for the for the vocals when when it was not possible anymore to travel. All the rest happened like any normal album would have happened. We were just done with the uh, orchestra recordings and and choir recordings. And that was, would have been a bigger problem if, if that uh, yeah. would have not been able to, to take place. But uh, we were very fortunate. So within the difficulties, we, I, I think we were more fortunate than this fortunate. And uh, uh, everything sounds the way it has to sound on the album. And uh, we had even more time for, for the mix and everything. So all in all, uh, we, we, we turned something uh, negative the, the pandemic into uh, something positive by making the album even better than we maybe otherwise would have be able to do because we had more time so we we put even more time and effort in the in the mix mm. 
I've got to say the other aspect, and I know it's always been a strength for the band, but the Abyss of Time video, and I know it's very early days yet, I know we're only 20 days or thereabouts into the year, but that's easily the video of the year thus far. And uh, I, I often find that with with uh, a lot of the videos that you guys do, that they they just seem to have that extra touch of class. Yeah. So is is the filmography and the video side of things, would you say that's an integral aspect of the band's presentation? Yeah, a video is indeed very important for us. And uh, we, we, we like always to experiment a bit uh, with different guys, uh, different uh, 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 you say the companies to to make videos and um, uh, also to 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 keep it refreshing for ourselves because everybody has a different way of working, but uh, the quality has to has to be high. And uh, we we saw the work of Group at Thirteen with the, the the old work they did with with other bands, and that always the quality was always very very high. And I must say we we worked with them and a really pleasant way of working. Uh, they they know what they're doing. They do their part of the job very well. And as a band, you don't have to worry all the time about the the side things uh, that you shoot on a shooting day. Not worry about. But if you work with uh, with unprof unprofessional people, for example, like we sometimes uh, had in the early days, then you have to do a lot of the thinking yourself. But with with, the, yeah. with these guys, you you upfront you discuss the story, and on the day itself uh, of the recordings, you don't have to worry about a thing. And I love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How, how do you then, I guess the word's not recruit, but how do you find people that are going to live up to your expectations? Because just the minuscule amount that I've had to do with putting videos together, they're bloody hard to do. But <laughs> as I say, yours has some truly, and excuse the pun, epic production quality. So <laughs> is it is it just a case that you, you already know who you're going to work with because you've been in the industry for 30 years or, or is it, do you find it through recommendations, that sort of thing? Yeah, we, we had uh, several options and we discussed them uh, th through Skype with, with the band. And, uh, and everybody had this group at 13 uh, at number one of, of that uh, list. So it, for us, it was pretty obvious to go for them. And uh, there's one more video coming up uh, from group at 13 uh, for Epica. And that's uh, the skeleton key. And awesome. uh, that video, uh, I'm also very happy with. It's it's a great atmosphere. It's, it has a very dark atmosphere. It's uh, it turned out really great, and uh, that that one is going to be released around the release date of the of the album. And uh, yeah, so we took the chance to shoot two videos uh, when we were there. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm very happy with the results. And like you said, it's it's uh, yeah, you. You don't know. We didn't know yet uh, if they would meet up our expectations, but we had a very good feeling about them, and we knew their work with other artists from the past. So the the risk was, in my opinion, pretty low that we took with them. But it always can happen that you arrive there and and things are not the way, going the way you want to go. But I must say, this group of thirty, they they delivered and uh, they met our expectations, and they're very professional. Mm. I meant to ask Simone this uh, when I had a chat to her, but uh, the other impressive aspect of your, your, your presentation in terms of giving fans access to your material is via the book, Essence of Epica. Now, yeah. I know it's a year or two old at this point in time. So did, did that release, did it, did it meet your expectations? Do you think that the fans who really wanted to get into it and buy it, were they able to do that? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it uh, certainly met our expectations. It was quite a lot of work. 
but the goal was uh, to at least break even. And uh, I, I think we even had a little profit about the book. So it, uh, what, uh, it was a perfect uh, thing to do. Because if you do a lot of work in something and, and you don't make it break even, then you feel like, yeah, we did spend a lot of time doing it and, and it didn't result in any income. That would have been a pity, but uh, like this, it, it worked. And on top, the fans have the, the perfect inside uh, stories that are going on in, in Epica. So that is a win-win situation. Uh, I'm very happy also to have this book myself for later on to be able to uh, read it again when I, in about 20 years and, and bring back all the memories. It's a very, very well-documented thing. And uh, yeah, so it's uh, very happy with the end result. Hmm. I'm going to change gears for a second, talk about your other band for a moment, because I, I did have a chat to Marcella a couple of years ago. Um, ah, yeah. Yeah, I had a chat to her. Sorry, I can't remember the name of your album now off the top of my head, but it's another great album. But look, yeah. I understand. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And great videos too with uh, with Mayan as well. So it's something that both bands have in common. But I understand she uh, she was diagnosed with cancer, which is extremely unfortunate, yes. of course. But is she doing better these days? Yeah, yeah she completely recovered, fortunately. And it, it was indeed a uh, very uh, nasty form. And uh, uh, I, I was a lot in touch with her during these uh, these uh, days. And uh, I also, one, one time with Simone, I visited her. One time I visited her uh, by myself. Uh, if, even though that I lived so far away, I, I thought it was very important to, to be there for her during these, these hard times because uh, uh, it, it could have been a matter of life and death even. So I'm very happy she made it through. She's such a wonderful person and uh, always uh, positive, always uh, bringing good atmosphere vibes to, the, to, to, to Mayan. So it's, it's a wonderful person and I'm really glad that she made it through and uh, thankful also for it. And uh, now, now, unfortunately, we cannot do any live show. So it's, uh, yeah. we, we still cannot see each other at this point. But uh, hopefully when all this COVID stuff is over, then we can also uh, uh, share the stage again. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's really, I mean, a band like you guys, you're one of the few symphonic metal bands that i think have got a, a true grasp i think of what is needed to deliver what you sound like on a recording live but you've also got that improvisational capacity as well with the guitar playing because you are a great guitarist Thank and you very uh, much. yeah and it, look it's one of those situations i think i've always very um especially with symphony i uh, i remember back to metallica when they released snm back in 1999 and to me that album's a dog's breakfast it's a terrible album and I think between, say, you guys, Thorian, uh, Blind Guardian, I always, whenever I hear some younger people or people who may not be aware, you know, the mainstream or the garden variety heavy metal fans, I yeah. always, and they talk about S&M and they think the last one too sounded like garbage, my opinion, of course, but, you know, think, you know I'm entitled to it, so <laughs> I tend to bear my opinion on these things. And uh, But when I hear you guys, and as I say, Blind Guardian, my aunt, Thorian, I always say to people, guys, there's a whole world out there of music. There's a whole bunch of bands out there from Europe, mainly from Europe, of course, because in yes. my view, that's where heavy metal has always come from, um, that you can tune into, but you've got to dig between the, beneath the surface. I know we've got the internet these days, but of course, in Australia, we're a faraway territory, meaning that um, we don't, we've recently only got download, but a lot of people are still clued into these so-called big bands, Metallica, 
Judas Priest. Yes. Um, this sort of thing. And, and I'm always saying to people, get into the new stuff. And it's, you know, I mean, you guys have been around for you know, a couple of decades now at this point. But do, yeah. do you find that in, in the territories, you know, the English-speaking territories like Australia, Great Britain and the United States, maybe even Canada, that it's a little bit harder for you to cut through and achieve an audience as opposed to that great audience you've got in, say, South America and Europe? Yeah, it uh, took definitely longer. Uh, uh, for example, in America, it uh, took us a couple of tours in, in order to to make it to the next step. And now, unfortunately, uh, people are really into our music and uh, we have now uh, decent crowds also in the US. Also, uh, UK, indeed, that was also, maybe took also a bit longer, but nowadays when we play London, it's it's one of the highlights of the tour even. The, the crowd is so, so fantastic there. And uh, I remember also, yeah, clearly coming to, to Australia and uh, uh, we cannot come over that often because it, indeed it's, it's so far away. But maybe that's the reason why uh, for Australia uh, it didn't happen yet that we made it to the, the next level. Because we, we sh- to, to, be, to make it to the next level, you have to play very often somewhere, I, I guess. And uh, that... that uh, but we are very happy with the, the crowd we have also in Australia. It's, a, it's a, maybe not the biggest crowd in the world, but uh, it's a very wild crowd, a very passionate crowd. And that's all that matters to us. And there was actually, there was almost like a, a tour, new tour booked for Australia, New Zealand for uh, when the COVID hit us. So it oh, didn't right. happen in the end, but it, we were already, we, have, we were having a quite, we were close to a deal with a promoter of, of coming back to Australia. It's just as fortunate that the COVID situation blew the plan away. But uh, we, uh, after all this, this stuff is over, we will definitely make new plans. Yeah. Your fans will appreciate it. And I, know, I know who you're talking about there. I'm, I, my local major city is Brisbane. I live on the Gold Coast, but I tend to go yeah. to gigs. And there's the same 80 or 100 people at the gigs. And no matter who the band is, whether it's you guys or Destruction or Corpaglani from Finland, there are so many great bands and, and you do have the yeah. support here. It's something that I'm, I'm trying to crack myself in terms of there is a, a hardcore, rabid fan base down here of people and we're really into it. And I know. Yeah, and I really love Brisbane, by the way. That's, uh, that's my, my favourite town to play. And it's not just uh, for, for the, the, the play itself, but also to be in Brisbane. Everything is, uh, is great there. Also, when you cycle and, uh, and you, you have a flat tire, then you can find right away stuff to repair your, your tire. For me, that was something wild. I've never seen that before somewhere. So I really loved it. Yeah, I suppose it would be a bit like, I know you're from the Netherlands originally, because I understand Holland is obviously, uh, it's one of the, or Amsterdam is one of the bike riding capitals of the world, isn't it? So I can I can sort of understand how you got that. But uh, yeah, no, it's great. Now, thanks for saying that about Brisbane, actually. We sort of get left off a lot of major tours, of course, Sydney and Melbourne being the two significant draws. But uh, Melbourne's, uh, Brisbane's got its own charm, I think. It's a lot hotter, of course, than the other two cities. But um, the fans yeah. here are tend- find a very down-to-earth man and to your, to your point exactly what you're saying man it's uh it's a nice city to sort of wander around in on a day off yes exactly and uh, because the, the bigger city the, the the bigger a city is the the, the less comfortable i usually feel because i i, I need to be in the and uh, easily when i want uh, surrounded by nature and uh, uh, even though I, I also uh, like being around in, in big cities when, when there's nice people, but usually for big cities, it's not really 
my cup of tea. And uh, Brisbane has a lot of charm and I really, really like it. That's awesome. Yeah. No, cool, mate. Look, I, I, have I got time for a couple more questions? About 20 minutes I've got or thereabouts? Sure. Yeah. After Forever, do you get a lot of fan requests direct to you? You know, you, do you get that person with the After Forever T-shirt at the front of the crowd and, you know, back when you could gig with Mayanne and, um, and with what you're doing with Epica? Yeah, there's sometimes uh, people with, with After Forever shirts or people sending me messages like, uh, please do some reunion shows. And uh, I, I, I think even though uh, I would would be up for, for that, uh, I think uh, Flo is way too uh, busy and uh, Flo and Sander maybe still not uh, the best uh, match uh, to, to be on stage together. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if they ever solve their, their issues, but uh, hopefully in the future uh, uh, it, w- it would be fun to do at least one reunion show uh, sooner or later somewhere because there's so much nice material to play live and uh, even though i'm just uh, was just involved in the band uh, for the first two albums uh, mm. still uh, it would be fun to play these these ones uh, live and uh, and i would would join them on stage for these songs and and the the later albums then uh, uh, bass can can do them uh, so mm. for me it w- i would be totally up for it and uh, but uh, I, like I said, there's so many factors, uh, and also Sander here doesn't like playing live shows. Uh, so oh. I, I, I don't think it will ever happen. Even though I, it would be a very cool idea. Well, I think you've got the right education in order to handle being in a band too, and dealing with personalities <laughs> that may, may not want to do things. Given you're a psychologist, do you, do you find that your awareness and your understanding of the human condition? How often do you use what you've learned in the day-to-day being in bands? Because I imagine it's a lot. Yeah, I, it's more like, yeah, I, I, I studied also bands, other bands, what, what, what goes right with bands. Why do they, uh, for example, uh, exist for many years or why do they split up in, in, in early years? And uh, I, I had to figure out what is the secret for a band to have a long lifespan. And what I what I found out was that it's very important for for bands that everybody in the band feels equally important, or mm. maybe not even equally important, but feels important. Uh, for example, when you have like a band with what one leader, he tells everybody what to do. You see always a lot of guys leaving, coming and leaving, coming and going. And uh, when you have a band where everybody feels uh, uh, value, valuable and valuated. Uh, these bands stay much longer together, and uh, so I I, dis- I tried always from the beginning for Epica that everybody uh, gets his his place, uh, responsibilities, feels important, is important, and and that works. And um, so I never wanted to be that guy that makes all the decisions and tells everybody what to do. I'm one of the guys. I'm just one of the six, and I, I love being that way. Uh, so everybody has uh, also in decision making. Everybody's uh, voice is heard, and when we uh, vote about things, and I, I'm the only one who wants something, and five don't, don't want, it's simply not going to happen. And uh, also the other important thing, what I learned is that it's very important to always keep talking to each other. So whenever you feel frustrated about something, just tell it to the other person, and also the other persons have to tell it to me when they are feeling frustrated about something. And that's also something that really works very well because like this, 
you always uh, solve issues in an early stage instead of that it grows bigger and bigger and that nobody dares to talk about it. What, and these things all, in, all together, I think, make it possible for bands to be together for uh, such a long time. Yeah, that's a very good point, that one there. I've just been listening to the audio book for, there was two of them with both Megadeth, but one was Dave Mustaine's book and the um, other one is the second edition of David Ellison's book. And of course, yeah. that, that band, basically the Dave Mustaine solo band in all intent, for all intents and purposes. I know that David Ellison's been there for a long time, but it's, it's interesting to hear their individual perspectives on how their relationship broke up and how they were able to sort of reconnect. Because he, he was, David Mustaine was saying that, David Mustaine was saying David Ellison sued him for $17 million, if you can believe it. And of course he lost. Yeah. <laughs> that, that just shows you how, how much mistrust there is, even at a band at that level. Uh, but I'll yes. look, as I was talking to the Cradle of Filth guys as well, Nick Barker, and this is on public record, he, uh, he told me that he, when he left the band that he'd rather have uh, left with uh, Stuart Anstis and Les Smith and move as a block and then basically get and have, have some sort of a case brought to Danny to say we're going to investigate the books because we feel we've been ripped off here. It's just, yeah. it's just the, the thing with bands, isn't it? I, I, don't know, I don't know how you've managed to do it, mate, but you've clearly got high EQ and uh, you're very intelligent and that's one way you're able to do things. And, but it's, um, even at my puny level, mate, I do playing bands as well and covers bands and they've all failed. And they've typically all failed because people want to have their voice heard over above somebody else or they want to have a stake in financial matters when they haven't put in the work. So they're bloody they're yes. bloody, so when you a band like yours that is as successful as what they are, mate, it's truly in many ways, and I don't want to overstate the case, but it's a bit of a miraculous thing. Yeah, it is, but uh, I think that uh, we are as close as to a democracy as you can get uh, as a band in a healthy way. And uh, what I what I what I uh, mean with that is when you are a full democracy as a band, that also doesn't work because you you are talking, uh, discussing things forever, and then you you get nothing done. So yeah. we 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 are as close as you can get uh, to a democracy. So everything we vote about, just if there's something like. I really don't like about the direction uh, that Epica would be going musically. I'm able to say, hey guys, this is this I don't like. Um, uh, I want to go uh, back to this way how Epica has to sound. And mm. uh, luckily, uh, it never happens in a, in a negative way that I have to say, hey, this I don't want. We're always disgusting in, a, in an open way, but. Um, the, the, the uh, Megadeth example you gave is like indeed Dave Mustaine being the, the leader and uh, mm. maybe he's sometimes also a, quite a, a difficult guy to, to deal with. He, he seems a bit grumpy by sometimes. Agreed. I've had an interaction with him and trust me, he wasn't very pleasant. So <laughs> it was, I'm just a fan. Uh, I couldn't imagine I had one of those legendary encounters with him and it wasn't even that bad, to be honest with you, but definitely caught him on an off day, I think. And it was, I sort of felt thrilled that I had a, you know, one of those typical yeah. day experiences. I've written about it in a blog, actually. Uh, yeah, about 20, 22 years ago or something like that now. But, yeah, he's, he's definitely a guy that I think if he wakes up on the wrong side of the bed, watch out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have also, we, we played at a, at a couple of festivals with Megadeth, and I, I have a, a couple of funny anecdotes. And, uh, <laughs> one of them is that uh, Megadeth was done playing, and they, they came back to the dressing rooms, and one by one was cli were climbing the stairs, and I, I was going downstairs, so I said hi to all the guys, and everybody, hi, hi, back to me. And uh, then uh, the last in line was Dave Mustaine, so I said also, hi, nothing. 
<laughs> no, what, no reaction whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, I don't like and that. Then, I've spoken to Dirk. I know he's from the Netherlands as well. He's he's a fantastic guy. I don't know how, how he puts up with him. Yeah. You know, like yeah, all the guys were very very friendly. And but this, yeah, this Dave guy also one time with Mayan, we were playing in in uh, Mexico and we were on the airport and uh, Megadeth was going to play the same festival and. Uh, we saw also the Megadeth guy, so they were all, all hanging around with everybody. And I thought, where's Dave Mustaine? Because uh, maybe he has a different flight. But then uh, after 10 minutes, I, I saw him. He was sitting uh, with his hoodie, <laughs> like uh, with a very crumpy face, like, don't even dare to get closer to me. I don't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> what a strange guy. What a yeah, strange he's... I don't judge him for that. I, if he doesn't want to talk to anybody, he, sh he should not do it. But uh, for, to me, it gives me the impression that he is not the most easy guy to deal with. And yet, uh, and the, the, the last funny anecdote I have, that was we were playing Grasshopper Festival. <laughs> yeah. I have so many funny Dave Mustaine anecdotes. That is, this is even the most funny one. That, that uh, <laughs> We were at the, the Grasshopper Festival, and that, that was a great festival with a great uh, catering. But everybody mm. needs this kind of uh, ticket, food ticket, to, to get your meal. But he was there and uh, and uh, he didn't have his uh, meal ticket. So he was like, uh, yeah, yeah, sir, do you have your meal ticket? No, no, I don't have it. But you need to have one to get your meal. And then he was looking around over his shoulder if anybody could hear him. And then he said to, to, the, to the girl, I'm Dave Mustaine, the face of Megadeth. <laughs> <laughs> And then she replied, uh, but you still need your food ticket, sir. Oh, good honor. Good honor. I like that. Yeah. Oh, and well, I was lost my ass off. That, uh, because I'm a big Megadeth fan, I must say. Uh, it, it's uh, My first metal album I bought was uh, Rust and Peace from, from Megadeth. I'm, I'm a huge fan myself. But this guy... <laughs> What's... Oh, yeah, that's... Honestly, yeah, that, that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, to, to say, uh, oh, again, I was listening to the Judas Priest book, uh, the Rob Halford book, and Rob very reluctantly tells stories on two occasions, one of them with the police where he said, basically, don't you know who I am? I'm Rob Halford, the singer of Judas Priest. And he acknowledges how cringeworthy it was for him to say that. And for Dave to do that to somebody who's just doing their job is yeah. ridiculous. He, he's, he's an adult. He should know better than that. Yeah, yeah, but it's, it's an ego thing, I think. Uh, when, when you get your, your food refused because you have, need to have a ticket, just like anybody else, and, yeah. and, you, and you, your ego is a little bit big, so to say, then you, you get in this defensive mode, like, give me my food. Everybody needs a ticket. Just go, go to get your ticket and come back. That's the big, big deal about that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, but I think also to ignore you. I mean, you're you're not a nobody, mate. You're a world class guitarist. And 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 Dirk was it? Was that when Dirk was in the band, or is this beforehand yeah. when you met Farewell? Or oh, that Dirk was in the band then? I I don't know if he was at that point in the band. Uh, they they had some lineup changes. I don't remember who was in the band at that time. But yeah. uh, I think Dirk was in the band when uh, that 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 uh, that example I I told you when they came off stage and walking up the stairs. That was when yeah. Dirk was in. The band. That's the one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I remember saying to Dirk, I said uh, I wasn't stirring the pot, but I said uh, you, him being in the band to me is an extreme metal fan. 
brings that group a lot of credibility these days after some pretty shit albums in the last 20 odd years or so. And uh, look, he, you know, he's like you. He can take the compliment well and he understands that I'm a fan myself and I'm just expressing an opinion. But as I was saying, mate, I don't know how the musicians around him do it, but I think he's probably got his best lineup that he's had since Marty Friedman and Nick Menza were in, in the band now. Yeah. So, uh, but he's also getting on a little bit too, mate. Like, that's, that's the thing. Like, I, my, my overall view is that I would love to see the Epicas start headlining the downloads and the grass pops and stuff as opposed to the Metallicas and the Megadeths. And I, I don't yes. have anything against you guys specifically, but I think it is time for a bit of a changing of the guard. And and I hope you guys are at the forefront of that because you certainly can pull it Hopefully. off. There's no Yeah. You know. Yeah, it would well, be great because we are we are more than ready to uh, to also play some some uh, some headline spots here and there on the on the bigger festivals. And uh but it's uh, if it doesn't happen, I'm also fine with it. We we had we had already so far a, a great career. I I experienced everything what I dreamed of as a kid, and everything what comes on top of, of this is is feels for me as extra. Yes, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying, but it's nice though when you get to, you know your goals reset when you achieve different levels, and and I think you guys are like in that that definitely at that next tier to come through and start headlining. It's just. It's just a case, you know, along with the Lamb of Gods, uh, yeah. these sorts of bands here. I'd like to see that sort of a setup happen. It's just, you know, the last one of the first downloads we had in Australia, which is in 2017, I think. I flew down to Melbourne for it. Corn were headlining. Okay, that's look kind of fair <laughs> enough. But how many people in the crowd really wanted to see Corn headlining? With all due respect, I know they can do it. I'm not having a go at them as a band. Yeah. But God, how many fans have they still got? Really, I mean, it's. When, yeah, you know, I, I, just, was, I was never a fan myself, so I, I don't know how, how big they are uh, nowadays. But I, I, I remember they were huge back in the days. I even remember our, our first tour manager having a, a tattoo of corn on, on his arm and then later on oh. tattooed something over it <laughs> to cover it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one, one or two good albums and that's it. Bands like that, they never have a career worthy of... They never have like seven or eight albums like what you've got that are all bangers. They just never do. They have one or two good albums. Even Megadeth falls into that category a little bit, unfortunately. Metallica definitely yeah. do. Um, yeah, it was I, always my nightmare scenario that to, to have a, a band and then at a certain point starting releasing uh, garbage albums. So I, I do whatever is in my power always to, to, to get the best out of myself and the other guys for, for every next album. And I feel the same hunger in, in the other guys and that uh, that's great to experience because it's really my nightmare scenario that that you release album after album at a certain point and that that people say ah these these new albums they are they are really not not of the same level as it was before <laughs> that must be yeah. terrible <laughs> yeah i think a lot of that comes off hype too none of those albums by corn back in the day were as good as what the hype was around it but none of them were it's just my, my my feelings, I think, are echoed by by a lot of people. But just to frame it, you know, the whole point overall, I was showing a friend of mine who's from Chile um, yeah. your Abyss of Time video uh, the other night, and he was asking me some questions about it because he gets – being South American, he loves metal, but he hadn't heard of you guys before. But, yeah. you know, you guys are what? How many albums are you in with Epicure? It's about seven or eight by now, isn't it? Yeah, but, this is our eighth studio album. It's your eighth studio album. The thing is you've refined your craft over that whole period probably without a lot of commercial pressure either, especially with Marcus and what Nuclear Blast are doing. You've been given that opportunity to, to, yeah. to 
to fine tune what it is you do without taking this with with all due respect here i say these stupid risks that i see these american bands do and australian bands too because of the commercial pressures of being on radio i still don't even know why that gets mentioned i mean as if radio has any sway in 2020 21 now, we never wanted any pressure of, of uh, making music in, in a certain direction. We also said right away with the uh, negotiations with Nuclear Blast when they took place, we said, we don't want anybody to tell us what to do. And they said, no, we don't even want to tell you what to do. You do your part of the job and we do ours. And that worked perfectly fine all those years. Mm. Well, long may it continue. Uh, I know Marcus is a smart guy and, and you guys are, I mean, to, 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 to mess with the formula that you guys have got would be, would be just silly and uh, I'm, I'm from the sounds of things that definitely won't happen so mate i better i better let you get to the next interview but it's been a joy to talk to you uh you're yeah it was nice to talk to you too yeah look you're one of those guitarists that i've had my eye on for a number of years um and i just uh you know i pre i know it's not easy mate you know i mean you make it sound easy but i know it's not easy uh doing <laughs> what it is that you do so thank you for doing what you do because for people like me i'm in my 40s right and i've been a metal fan most of my life but it is important for bands like you guys to be out there and 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 as a fan mate i, I do appreciate it uh, thank, thank you very much i really appreciate also the, the things you say no my pleasure mate no worries well that's it my name's andrew mckay smith and i'm the host of the scars and guitars podcast series that syndicates for the a-list online the interview subject you just heard from is the guitarist and vocalist in a band called epica that was mark jansen thanks for tuning in